0: I'd love for us to open uh, our Bibles to Psalm 46 and dive into the Word. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Psalm 46. Uh, I believe uh, your, your worship guide announcement sheet that you have also has the passage uh, as well. And I suppose there's a way to continue to let you know a little bit about me. Um, A strange thing about me is that I have spent many years uh, going to my cave. Um, This, I think, started when I was pretty young. I mean, I'm thinking like five years old, six years old. But when I was little, whenever I got stressed, whenever I got anxious, whenever I got overwhelmed, uh, in a way that five and six year olds would get overwhelmed, what I'd do is I'd go into the bathroom and I'd turn the shower on, and then I'd take a towel and I'd put it over my head. And this would be my cave. And in my cave, I felt some sense of safety, some sense of control. I'd hear the water running, uh, and and yet I was warm, and I was sort of separated from this. And I don't know what was going on psychologically, but something was happening that would affect me and make me feel good. Well, uh, that's not only something I've done uh, when I, or I did when I was a child. That's something I've done my entire life. Every once in a while I'll get stressed and I'll get overwhelmed and I'll, I'll put the shower on, I'll have some sort of running water and I'll just cover up and for just a few fleeting moments I feel safe. I feel warm. I feel in control and it feels good. Well, Uh, The thing is, is I've relied a lot on my cave over the years because if I don't have that sort of cave, um, the the stresses of this world can become pretty overwhelming pretty quickly. Uh, I don't know that there's ever been a year and and a half or year and some change that have revealed that quite like this past year and a half. I have needed my cave over and over again so that I could have some bit of solace, some bit of hold on the world and and the chaos that is swirling around us. You may not have a cave, but I I would guess that some of you have something like what I'm describing. You have a person you talk to. You have a place that you go to, a lookout. um, You have a book that you retreat to. There's something that you do to sort of ground yourself. Well, um, this past year and a half has not only uh, driven me to my cave many times, it's also uh, forced me to recognize the insufficiency of my cave. And the insufficiency of about every sort of tactic that you might employ to ground yourself and to feel a sense of ultimate security and safety. It's been a wild year and change, hasn't it? And and over and over again, um, I've found my personal attempts to to be okay, to to be lacking. And maybe you have too. Maybe that's something that you're familiar with. Maybe that makes sense to you. And and if that's you, I come with glad tidings. This morning we are going to be spending our time in Psalm 46. And in Psalm 46, uh, we are going to see that we who are in Christ, we who have believed in Jesus and are found in him, that we, ha- that we are in fact safe, that we are in fact secure. Even if the world swirls and chaos reigns or seems to reign, we are okay because of Jesus, because of who God is. This psalm that we're gonna be looking at today may be familiar to some of you um, because it's a psalm that a great song was written about, uh, A Mighty Fortress. Uh, This is a psalm or a hymn that uh, Martin Luther wrote, and he wrote this hymn in the midst of great uh, trial. Uh, He wrote this in the midst of of the Reformation in the 1500s, in the midst of dealing with with the plague, in the midst of great uh, great chaos, he penned the words to A Mighty Fortress. And, and, And as it said, when... Luther would get anxious when he would get stressed, when he would get overwhelmed. But all these things that he had to deal with, very real, very overwhelming trials, he would turn to his good friend, Melanchthon, and he'd say, Come, Melanchthon, let's sing the 46th. And as he did so, he found himself buoyed because he found himself able to trust in a holy and awesome God who was worthy of trust. And so, church, today we are going to sing the 46th. And as we do so, uh, I want us to see three truths uh, that I think, that I hope will encourage you and bless your souls and cause you to trust in the Lord Almighty. One, God is powerfully present. God is powerfully present. Two, God gives peace. And then three, God wins. God wins. So that's what we're going to be looking at today. Psalm 46, if you have your Bibles open, please read along with me. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble, The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Pray with me. Father, we thank you that we can gather together today in Jesus' name. And that we can make much of Jesus. Father, I pray that you would cause your word to land on our hearts So that we might adore Jesus, that we might worship you and trust in you, even when the world seems to give way. Father, I pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear today as your spirit does good work in us. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen. All right. Well, again, uh, as we look to God's word, we want to see three truths And the truth. The first truth is a simple but powerful truth, and that is that God is powerfully present. God is powerfully present. Psalm 46 is broken up into three scenes. And this first truth that God is powerfully present, I think, can very clearly be seen in verses one through three. And in these verses, everything is messed up. Everything is messed up. Verses two through three shows a world where mountains are being torn down by earthquakes. The seas are swelling. And what's happening here is the psalmist is painting a picture for us, and it's a picture where the most secure things that we can think of, particularly the mountains, these things that stand, and we have a view of these just over here, they stand and they loom and they're strong, they're secure. Nothing is going to happen to these mountains, and yet the psalm paints a picture where where these most secure things are being toppled. They're falling down. The, The things that we have great confidence in all of a sudden are crumbling. Now, can you imagine an analogous situation to this in our world? As you reflect on society and where we are in the United States or where we are as a world, does anything come to mind that would, make you, uh, uh, that, that, that would uh, make you think in these terms. I remember last year how disorienting it was to lose faith in a grocery store's ability to provide toilet paper. That was overwhelming to me to think that, that a, a slight bit of, of concern and maybe even paranoia over toilet paper caused shelves to be empty for months at least in some places. Some of us are realizing over the course of this past year how much confidence we have placed in various uh, systems, in government, in 401ks, in a stable healthcare system, uh, in, in other Christians acting like Christians. We can go on down the list Now, now we have doubt in things that we formerly trusted in. Now we have concerns about things that we formerly had zero concerns about. If the chaos of the world hadn't already convinced us that this world is scary and troubling, then we have a year and change worth of evidence that tells us it is in fact scary. It is in fact troubling. You think about COVID, you think about George Floyd, you think about January 6th. I mean, we could just go down the list. There's so many things that we can reflect on, big things, big societal things, big cultural things, down to the personal things that you as individuals, as families, and as a church have dealt with. And, and, And as we reflect on these things, I think we could say with the psalmist, it seems as if the world has given way. It seems as if the kingdoms have tottered. And now the question is, is what do we do? What do we do in light of this? Do we give in to anxiety? Do we give in to depression? Do we give in to the overwhelming concern that we have about all of these things pressing in at the very same time upon us? And to this, the great God of glory who is sovereign over all, the God who who is on his throne, who is and was and will forever be, the God who knows all and works all according to his wisdom and his might, says three things in Psalm 46. I am with you. I'm with you. I'm your refuge. And I am your strength. God says that he's with us. He's our very present help in times of trouble. Church, know this today. If you are barely affected by the world and all of the things going on in it, or if you are completely affected, totally affected, God is with you. Right now, God is with you. There's a temptation in times of trouble, in times of suffering, in times of trial, to think that God has abandoned us that all of these things indicate that we are alone, that that God has abdicated his responsibilities, his position on the throne, and now it's up to us to deal with this by ourselves. He has not abandoned us. He has not abdicated his responsibilities. He's a very present help in time of need. And And I'd love for you to notice the wording here because it's so important. It's not just that God is with us. It's that he is very with us. He is a very present help in time of need. If you're like me, then your theology, I think, can actually get in the way of us being blessed maximally from these verses. You might read this and you think, well, of course God is with us. He's omnipresent, meaning that he is everywhere. That there is nowhere that he is not, right? And so we can read this and we can sort of generalize it and think, well, of course, God is everywhere. And so, of course, God is technically then therefore with us. But that's not what this this passage is saying. It's not saying that God is omnipresent. Yes, he is. Uh, That's not in question uh, in the psalmist's mind. But the psalmist is saying, saying something more than that. No, the psalmist is saying that God is with us and he's with us in a special way. When things get hard, God is with us in a special way. When things get hard, God draws near in a special and life-giving way. As one theologian puts it, uh, it is true that God is everywhere, but he is not only everywhere. It is true that God is everywhere, but he is not only everywhere. Psalm 46 paints a picture of trouble. And in times of trouble and in times of instability and in times of chaos, God is especially with his people. And that's why this idea, I think, is repeated over and over and over again in this psalm. The psalmist really wants us to get this. The Lord really wants us to get this and get it into our heads and our hearts. Verse 5, God is in her midst. Verse 7, the Lord of hosts is with us. Verse 11 the Lord of hosts is with us. God wants you to know today. I think I could speak uh, on the authority of the word of God that God wants you to know today that he is with you. If you were his, if you are a part of his people, then he wants you to know that he is with you today. And if you were in Christ, he is with you in a special way. because God is is with you, he helps you. He helps you. Psalm 46 says, God is our refuge and our strength. He himself, God himself is our refuge. God himself is our strength. Now, if you're here today, that is good news. Notice that God doesn't say that he is going to provide you a refuge. That's That's not what Psalm 46 is saying. This isn't a passage that says God is going to provide you a house. He's not going to provide you a cave. He's not going to provide you a literal fortress that you can board up the walls, that you can close the bridge, and you can hide in. He's not going to provide you a hospital. He's not going to provide you a bank. Uh, that's not what this passage is getting at. The refuge that God provides in Psalm 46 is not a thing. Now, these things, especially over the past season, may seem wonderfully helpful, wonderfully practical. We may desire these things now more than ever. Uh, I, I, I would imagine that, that that is some of these things are at the tip top of your uh, wants list. But bear in mind, these sorts of things, as great as they can be, they provide a partial refuge, a refuge that can be affected. Houses can be taken by banks. They can be burned down. Caves, fortresses, they can crumble. Hospitals, hospital beds can be taken away and they can be filled up. No, God will not settle by merely giving you a temporary measure, a temporary refuge. No, God gives himself. He gives himself. He will be our refuge. He will be our safety. He will be our stronghold. He himself will secure us. He will hide us under his wings. And know this. God is not weak. He will not crumble. He will not be foreclosed upon. And so God will be our refuge. And not only our refuge, but our strength. And this psalm is careful to say that God will not merely provide strength as he gives us some power within to pull ourselves up. No, uh, God certainly provides strength and we've seen uh, incredible, uh, miraculous, supernatural strength on display it seems from so many in our communities to do heroic things. But that's not what God has in mind in these verses. No, God says that he will be our strength. He will be our strength. And you know what? God's strength will never fail. It will never run out. He'll never grow tired or weary and leave us to ourselves. Our strength will fail. The strongest person you know, their strength will fail. Their legs will give out, not God's the God who is sufficient in himself, the God who burns and is not consumed, the God who does not grow faint or weary, the God who does not rest nor slumber, the God who actively holds all things together, he will be our strength. Now, if I could illustrate this for a second, I want you to imagine a scenario. So I have a little son, Henry. I have two sons, but imagine my oldest, Henry, five years old, and we go to a park. And, uh, and we're at this park, and, and Henry and a bunch of other kids are playing on a playground. And I'm over on the bench, uh, sitting on this bench, watching my son play and have a grand old time. And then, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a ferocious bear comes. This bear comes into the playground, and he's, he's hungry, he's angry. He's, he's looking for something to eat. Now, in that scenario, as Henry's dad, what do you imagine that I would do? Is this a time to run away and to pull that like, I don't have to be faster than the bear, I just have to be faster than you, sort of card? Is this a time to, to cower, to hide? Possible? Is that what I would do as Henry's dad? Would I leave my son to this imminent danger? No chance. No chance. If that were to somehow actually happen, everything in me would be compelled, would be moved to put my son, Henry, in that bear. Doesn't matter. Whatever it takes, I would give every bit of me to ensure that my son is safe in this situation. Now, imagine for a second that somehow I actually figure out how to, like, uh, scare this bear away or somehow get him to, to get out of here and, and the threat is dealt with. Imagine that somehow that that happens. What then do I do? Do I just kind of go, "Whoo, that was great, and, and then just go and like sit down on the bench and play on my phone? Do I just wander off and get some coffee? No, I, I move decisively to my son and, and, I, and I tend to him. I embrace him. I care for him. I tell him it's going to be all right. I actively love him, right? Now, think about this for a second. Think about this, this picture that I'm trying to paint for you. In this story, when, when Henry was playing on the playground, I'm sitting on the bench, I was with my son, right? I was there with him. I was, I was there as he's playing on the playground. But then when the bear showed up, Isn't it true that I was with him in a different sort of way? I went and got in between him and that bear. I said, I will fight for you. I will defend you. I will die for you. I will do whatever it takes to care for you because you're my son and because I love you that much. And so my presence was different depending on the threat. All of a sudden, I was with him in a special sort of way, fighting for him, protecting him. Now, I think that's the idea here in Psalm 46. When the world gives way, When the world gives way, whatever that means for you, God is not sitting on the bench in the face of COVID, in the face of of racial injustice, in the the face of societal unrest, in in the face of of, uh, uh, looming financial crisis or chaos, In the face of of health failing, in the face of personal tragedy, in the face uh, of transitions in a church, whatever it is that you're dealing with, in the face of this, God is not sitting on the bench, playing on his phone, unconcerned, absent-minded, technically present. No, he is putting himself between you and the bear. He is with you in a special way. He is drawing near in a powerful way, in in a life-giving sort of way. I don't know the unique challenges that you're facing today, whether they be the big ones, whether they be the small ones, whether they be ones that are unique just to you or to your family. But I have to imagine that in big or small ways you are feeling a lot these days. Know this, God is with you, he's with you. And that's that's no just platitude, that's not just something we say. The actual God of all glory, the God who created the heavens and the earth, the God who sustains all of the things that we are experiencing right now by the word of his power, he's actually with you. It's one of those things that is wrought by the gospel. Because of Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, you can know today that God is with you. The God who is is with Daniel in the lion's den, he's with you. The God who owns cattle on a thousand hills, he is with you. The God who spoke everything into existence, he is with you. The beginning and the end, he is with you. And he's up for the task of being your refuge and being your strength in whatever it is that you're facing today. He will help. So that's truth one. God is with us, and he's not just with us. He's he's with us in a special way. But the second truth that we want to see this morning is that God gives peace. God gives peace. We see that in verses 4 through 7 in the second scene of Psalm 46. And this scene is focused on the city of God. And what we learn in these few verses is, is that the city of God is under siege. It's under duress. She needs help. So in this scene, we move from the world ...that is giving away the mountains that are toppling and, and, and overwhelmed by chaos. And we move to this city, the city of God. And these verses, they tell us something about the city. The city needs help, according to verse 5. The city needs to be delivered. Outside her walls, the nations rage. And the kingdoms totter. Outside her walls is chaos, violence, and war. And all these things are at the gates. They're drawing near. They're encroaching upon her. And so outside the city is a scary picture. It's not what you want. You don't want to be outside the city. It's a picture that frightens the enemies of God, marshalling all of their strength, marching upon the city, directing all of their ire towards this city. They want to destroy the city. That's outside of the walls. What about inside the city gates? Well, you would imagine that if all of this chaos was going outside, that inside the city, there there would be angst. There there would be concern. There would be fear. It would be overwhelming to be inside the city, knowing that all of these enemies are directing all of their anger, all of their frustration, all of their ire towards you. But that's not the case. Now, inside the city is a river that runs through the city that makes the city of God glad. It's not like the chaotic waters of verse three. It is peaceful and life-giving. It actually affects the psychology of the city to the point where it makes them happy. It makes them carefree. It makes them able to rest. It affects the psychology of the people in a positive way. Verse five tells us that God is inside the city. He's present, and he won't let anything happen to her. In fact, he will deliver her when the morning light comes. She is safe because God is with her. The city is blessed. The nations may rage. The kingdoms may totter. The enemies of God might be scary, but when God speaks, he speaks with authority, and he speaks with power. And when he speaks things happen and he says that he will rise up for this city. And so verse 7, the Lord of hosts is with the city and he will be her fortress. He himself will be her peace and he will communicate his peace to the city that belongs to him. The city that he loves. Picture. Picture of a city, the city of God under siege. Chaos and danger imminent surrounding the city, all around the city, but inside the city, peace reigns. Inside the city, peace reigns. Why? Because God is in the city. And because God is in the city, his peace emanates out to the people and it causes them to experience him in such a way where they are settled. Where they're okay. This raises an important question what exactly is the city of god well the city of god is god's city so i think it's safe to say that it's a place where where god resides where he abides where he chooses to dwell many would think that this means that the city of god is jerusalem Um, uh, that makes sense jerusalem is where god's temple was it's a place where all of the scriptures seem to say that that jerusalem is an important place So much of the New Testament, uh, Jerusalem has sort of a magnetic pull. The New Testament seems to say that God will, in fact, care for the city of Jerusalem. Uh, This is a special place in God's mind. So so that might be a logical conclusion to to draw from this. In Psalm 46, I don't, however, think that Psalm 46 is addressing an actual uh, physical Jerusalem that's several thousand miles over across our globe. Why? Acts 7 teaches us that God does not dwell in a temple made by human hands or a city made by human hands, for that matter. Notice 1 Corinthians 3, for instance, teaches us God has chosen to take up his residence in people. In people. His people. People who his son, Jesus, died for. People that Christ purchased upon the cross, people who, rec- who received grace by faith, believing in Jesus's name for salvation, for eternal life, for the forgiveness of sins. God abides especially in these people, and now they are His holy temple. And so, the city of forty, uh, the, the city of God in Psalm forty-six, I believe, is not an actual location; it's a people. It's God's people. And so the question is, who are the people of God? Well, in, in, in the time that this psalm was written, it was, it was really obvious who the people of God were. They were the, the people that God had chosen for, uh, for his possession, to, to make great and to display his glory. It was Israel. Well, today, it's those people who have received Je- Jesus by grace through faith. And so if you've believed in Jesus today, then I think it is perfectly appropriate for us to apply Psalm 46 and its beauty and the riches contained within to us. If you believe in Jesus, then you are a citizen of this city that is perfectly safe. No matter what's going on outside, no matter what's swirling around in our world, the chaos that threatens, no matter what rages, you are safe within the walls because the Almighty God. The Lord of hosts, the Lord, Sabaoth, the Lord of angel armies is what that means, is with you. But hear me. If you haven't believed in Jesus, then you aren't inside these walls. You're not in a place where you experience the peace and the safety and the freedom of coming inside this, this peaceful city. You're actually outside the walls. You're where all the chaos is. Where all the 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 tragedy and the the rage is. Remember earlier the illustration about the about the bear and my son? Y- you have to recognize this. You have to be aware of this. In, in that story, after I deal with the bear, assuming I'm able to deal with the bear, who do I run to? There's lots of children in the playground. Do I go and run and check on everybody else's child to make sure that they're okay? No, I run to my son. I move towards my son. Uh, I move towards the one who I love, whom my love rests upon. I move towards him, and him I comfort, him I care for. If you haven't believed in Jesus, then you aren't a citizen of this safe and peaceful city. But you can be. You can be. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, died upon the cross so that your sins can be forgiven and so that his eternal life can flow to you. Jesus died upon the cross so that you, who were once alienated and far from God, separated from God, could be brought back. So that you could have a relationship with God, so that you could get God, so that you could experience life, experience his safety, experience his peace. Experience all that he has for you in his son, Jesus, so that he might be worshiped forever. And so, church, in many ways, it may seem like the world has given way around us. Maybe the world will stabilize some. I certainly pray that it does. But who knows? It may not. Right now, it feels like the world is raging kingdoms are tottering and as Christians we are uniquely situated to be able to engage this in such a way where we do not falter but we stand fast in confidence and in hope in Jesus we can face this trial without flinching because we have this God because this God is ours in our Savior Jesus Please don't misunderstand. I'm not saying that because of God and because we're part of this city and because of how he draws near in a special way, we're unaffected by the chaos and by the world around us. We can certainly get sick. Our health can fail. We can have our houses taken away. Bad things can happen to Christians. And in fact, the Bible seems to say that they will, in even a a more significant way, happen to Christians. Well, what Psalm 46 and the whole of the Bible testifies to over and over and over again is that if God is in our midst, and in the gospel, the cross says that he is in our midst, then we are good. Ultimately, eternally, we are good. We're going to be okay. It may not feel like it right now, but, but this is the ultimate word, the final word. God is definitively declaring that we will be okay because we're safe in him. And so we can cast our anxieties upon him. We can rest in him. We can hope in him. He's not going to leave us and he's not going to forsake us. He'll give us grace today and he'll give us strength tomorrow. He'll give us peace. It may not come quickly, but it is ours in Christ. And if you lean into this, if you lean to God as your refuge and as your strength, as your very present help in time of need, as your fortress, he will be with you and he will communicate this peace to you. He'll work this peace in you. Now to close, I want to draw your attention to this final truth seen in this last scene. And it's a truth that I'd love for us to hang our hats on today and hope in. God wins. God wins. It's the final word for us today. Verses 8 through 11. These are incredible verses. They give us a glimpse of where all this stuff is going. Where is it gonna end? So we get this little snapshot at the end of the story that's being told in Psalm 46. Where is this heading? God wins. That's where it's heading. So follow the flow of the psalm for just a second. The whole earth is giving away. The strong and consistent things are no longer reliable. The city of God is under duress. All of God's enemies are gathering to make war on his holy city. And so what happens? We don't get the specifics. We don't get the play-by-play. We don't get exactly how this is going to take place. But we do get the ending. We do get the epilogue. Verse 8. God has brought desolations upon the earth. Verse 9, he makes wars cease to the end of the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns chariots with fire. What happens is that God's enemies are conquered and God stands victorious. No more sin, no more sorrow, no more COVID, no more war, no more famine, no more of the things that are affecting us so personally and so dearly today. Our trust in God is vindicated. Our hope in God is is revealed to be well-placed for God wins. And then verse 10, God makes this declaration. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. This is a perspective-giving declaration. and all of this, God is revealing to us that he's doing something. In your world, in society, God is doing something. He's, he's working something out. He's moving all of human history forward towards a climactic point where all the peoples of the earth will be still and know that he is God and will offer him the worship that is due his name. We don't have all the details. We don't have the play-by-play. But what I think these verses are showing us is that God is active today. He's active in our midst. He's active in your life. He's not abandoning you to your circumstances. He's doing something. And we can hope in that. We can trust in that today. We know the end of the story. We know where all of this is, where this is heading. And knowing the end of the story changes how we engage the story today. It allows us to engage the story today with faith, with hope, with love, with peace that is communicated to us by the Spirit. It may get worse. I hope not. Lord forbid. But even if it does, that doesn't change the fact of the matter. God is with us. God is with us. He will give us peace. And he wins. And this will happen without our help. This will happen regardless of how we engage the story. This is something God is doing. But we can get in line with it and get on board with what he's doing and experience it in the coolest of ways. And that's my hope and that's my prayer for you as a church. That you'd be able to, to, to get in the boat with God, so to speak, and observe how he is going to display his glory in this particular moment on towards eternity. And so... With that said, I'm going to pray that the Lord would work these three truths into your hearts, and that as he does so, you would grow in adoration for the Lord Jesus, and in faith, hope, and love, and that the Lord would display his glory in you and through you. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to speak your words here amongst those who you have united together in your son Jesus. And Father, I pray now that you would take your word and you would hide it in our hearts, causing it to direct our path, causing us to believe in Jesus and to to worship him. And so Lord, now as we prepare to go, I pray that you would cause us to be those who not only worship when gathered, but worship when scattered. I pray, Lord, that we would go in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus and the power of your spirit, knowing the end of the story, knowing that you are at work, feeling your presence and having your peace communicated to us. Lord, help us. Thank you so much for the opportunity to worship together with brothers and sisters. And Now we offer you ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray.